Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we begin a new series. This series is in the letter to the Galatians and it's entitled Fresh Faith. Fresh Faith. And the goal of the series is that we might receive fresh faith or we might have our stale faith renewed or we might be able to keep our fresh faith that we might feed many with the bread of life. I love Desi's fresh homemade bread. There's nothing I like more than going into the kitchen and smelling that bread as it comes out of the oven and she puts it on these cooling trays. And then when she leaves, I sneak back into the kitchen and cut off one of those crispy end pieces And put that wonderfully warm piece of bread in my mouth. And it just melts in my mouth. We normally then slice it up. We put it in a plastic container. And then in that container we're able to take it. And every morning I have a slice of that bread. I love toasting it and putting some hummus on it. What a great flavor it is. But every once in a while... When we've had that bread in the container too long, or when we don't seal the container properly and some air gets in, I'll reach in there and grab a piece and I'll notice it doesn't quite smell as good as when it came out of the oven. And there's a little, little bit of mold on there. So we have to throw that bread away. It's become stale. So here's my question for you. How's your fate this morning? Is it fresh? savory, warm, the beautiful aroma, or has it gotten a little stale? Is there a little mold on it? Have you experienced, like so many, the weariness of praying for something for years and it just hasn't happened and you kind of just say, you know what, I'm kind of done with praying for that. Or maybe you question whether God really is good, whether he really does give good gifts to his children, and you've become a little cynical, and you've just, you kind of, you've stopped praying altogether, or just half-hearted prayers. Have you, have you forgotten what God has done for you? Are you someone in need of fresh faith? Perhaps you're not a believer and you say, I don't know what you're talking about, Al. Or are you like this person I just described, like all of us at times? Our faith has gotten a little stale. You you asking God to refresh your stale faith. Or perhaps, like many of you, and I'm glad for this, you have fresh faith, but you know you're in need of the strength to keep that faith fresh. That's what this series is all about this summer. Fresh faith. Fresh faith. And the cornerstone of fresh faith is remembering how we are made right with God. The cornerstone of fresh faith is how am I made right with God? I can tell you this. If you forget how you are made right with God, it is like having air come into that plastic container and a little mold will begin to appear on your faith. This is in fact what had happened in the church of Galatia. 
We need to understand a little bit of the background of this book of Galatians before we preach it. You see, Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of believers in Galatia. Imagine that. And what he was addressing is really the title of this message. And it's this, how is one made right with God? That is the title of this message. Made right with God by faith. Made right with God by faith. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 to 21. You can start turning there. But before we dive into this topic, we must understand the context. And the context is a letter written to this little church in the region of Galatia. And I've given you a map here to orient you to that region. If you look on the far right-hand side of this map, Hopefully you will see the right-hand coast, that's Israel. If you go up the coast, that's Syria. And as you make the bend around the coast, right in that area there, what's modern-day Turkey, is the area of Galatians. It was the first, one of the first places that Paul went to on his first missionary journey. And he planted a church in Galatia, around 47 AD. And now a year later, Paul has returned to his home base in Antioch in Syria, And this little church in Galatia is populated by Jewish people who have believed in Christ as their Messiah. They are Jewish Christians. And by Gentile people who have believed in Christ as their Savior. So this church has Jewish believers and it has Gentile believers. In fact, one of the Jewish believers there is Peter and another one is Barnabas. Peter, a fellow apostle with Paul, and Barnabas. And they're there with these Gentile believers. And they have been enjoying the fact that they're made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. However, there are some Jews who are from Jerusalem who either have no faith or their faith has been putrefied by a lot of mold. And these Jews from Jerusalem are saying this to all the believers in Galatia. This is what they're saying. Yes, you are made right by faith in Christ, plus keeping the Old Testament law. And this is how it manifested. Peter, Barnabas, the other Jewish believers in Galatia, used to sit down and eat with the Gentile believers. Yeah, they're having a meal with their Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ. And they're doing great. Suddenly they hear that these Jews from Jerusalem are coming to visit in Galatia, and they know what they believe, that to be made right with God, you have to have faith in Jesus, plus you have to add obedience to the Old Testament law, the dietary laws, to only eat food that is clean, even circumcision. You have to have your body circumcised. And so as soon as these Jews come from Jerusalem and show up in Galatia, what do Peter and Barnabas and the other Jewish believers do? They stop eating with the Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ. They shun them. Why? Because they know that these Jews who have come believe that you have to add the law, you have to add the obedience to the dietary laws, and they're not allowed to eat with the unclean, the unwashed Gentiles, the sinners. Thing is, these are their brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul hears about it. And Paul confronts 
Peter and Barnabas and all of the Jewish believers. Because what's at stake is the gospel. Here's the question. How are you made right with God? Is it faith in Christ and your good works? Is it faith in Christ and how other people want you to live? Is that how you are made right with God? That's the question. It's the central question of the gospel. And what Peter is doing is functionally saying, I won't eat with you, therefore I'm telling you that to be made right with God, to have fellowship with me, you have to keep the Jewish laws, the dietary laws. Paul is saying, No, sir, Peter, I respect you as a fellow apostle and I respectfully disagree with you and I am going to correct you right now. And what we have in our text is Paul's correction of Peter. See, Peter's faith had gotten stale. Peter's faith had had gotten mold on it. Peter's faith was no good anymore. There was no more fresh bread of the gospel of Jesus Christ there. It was moldy. It was stale. And the apostle Paul, his buddy Paul was saying, Peter, it has gotten moldy and it's no longer fresh because you've allowed the corruption of adding to faith in Christ to be made right with God. So let me ask you a question. How are you made right with God? Now, before you answer that question, I have to give you one more context before we read Paul's words here. And it's an important context because what we're talking about in this text is something called justification. You see that word four times in this text and then its derivative righteousness a fifth time in verse 21 It's a very important word. But to understand the word justification, let me set for you the picture here. And it's one of a courtroom. So to be made right with God is to be justified before God. And the context, dear friend, is of a courtroom, God's courtroom, and a court date, the final day of judgment. Every human being, You have a court date with God. It is unavoidable. It will happen. And it's on that final day, the day of judgment. And on that day, every human being will stand before God and he will be or she will be adjudicated. God will hold court on that day. And the doctrine of justification by faith, which is taught here this morning, which keeps our faith fresh, speaks to that day, a point in time. And whether you can be made right with God on that day. Well, what do you mean, Al? I thought I am right with God. Well, the Bible teaches otherwise. The Bible teaches that apart from Christ, every human being is born with something called sin. And every human being on that day will stand before God and in themselves, they are guilty. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in court. Don't raise your hand if you have. But we've all had the sense of getting caught doing something, right? A little kid with the cookie in their pocket. And the crumbs coming out of the cupboard. Mom says, where have you been? What are you doing? Nothing. No, I wasn't in the cupboard. 
we're caught, we're nailed. It could be being pulled over by law enforcement officer. It could be getting caught at work cheating or stealing. It could be getting caught by your spouse cheating or stealing. It could be anything. You know that feeling. You're standing in the courtroom of someone's judgment and you know you are literally guilty as sin. Some of you may have experienced that in a very serious way. Beyond just a fine or a misdemeanor, maybe some of you have experienced being guilty of a felony or at least charged with a felony. I don't think we have anybody here that has had this, but maybe you have been standing before a judge and you're on trial for murder with a capital punishment. Multiply all of that by a million. On that day, we all have a court date with God, and apart from Christ, we stand before God guilty, guilty as sin of cosmic treason. And apart from Christ, we deserve the verdict of guilty and the punishment of eternal death, damnation forever and ever. See, the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is the Christian understands this, first of all, understands their need, that they need to be made right with God and then the Christian understands how they're, they're going to be made right with God. So what we're talking about here is the doctrine of justification. Point in time. Not the doctrine of sanctification, how our lives are made righteous functionally. But we're talking about how are we, once and for all, before God, on that day of judgment, made right before God. And if you don't sense the burden of that question in your life, then I pray God give you the burden of that question in your life. It's coming. The notice is in the mail. You've got the court date. You can't settle out of court. There's nobody you can bribe. You're going to face God. And the question is, how can you be made right with God on that day? That's the question. And that's why it was so important for Paul to address Peter and say, Peter, how in the world can you not eat with Gentiles and communicate to them subtly that the only way they can be made right with God on that day is by keeping the Old Testament dietary laws. When Peter, you yourself know that the law does you no good because you can't fulfill it perfectly. So stop corrupting the gospel. But we can too. We can subtly think that there are things that we can do To be made right with God on that day. And when we do that, our faith becomes stale and putrid and moldy. And we need someone to speak into our lives and to remind us of what God has done for us in Christ. When we start thinking that to be made right with God on that day, I have to do certain things today. There's nothing you can do. We're out of step with the gospel when that sneaks in. So God gives us a front row seat to how the apostle Paul speaks to the apostle Peter when he has drifted into that. When there's a couple of slices of moldy bread in his bread bin. And his faith has become stale. Because what's at stake is the gospel, church. And we have those words right here in Galatians 2, 15 to 21, to keep our faith fresh. So let's read them. Galatians 2, 15 to 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. 
Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Friend, your eternal destiny depends on the verdict on that day. There is nothing more important than this right here. This is the main ingredient to fresh bread. This is the main ingredient to keep the bread fresh. This is what fuels our faith. A faith that is fresh. Every day, remembering what God has done for us. Every day, thanking him that he has done that for us. What this text calls us to is to live by faith in Christ alone. It's the main point of the message. Live by faith in Christ alone. And to do that, point one, we must remember our inability. We must remember our inability. It's what Peter forgot. Temporary amnesia. Again, we're speaking of justification. That is the key word there. We see it four times in the text. Look at it with me. Verse 16. For we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith. In Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Then in verse 17. But if I... But if, in our endeavor to be justified, and then in verse 21, a derivative of that word, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This word justified is very, very important. This Greek word, dikao, is very important. And what it means is, how is one declared righteous? We see that in verse 21. Dikaionosune is the word there. It's, it's a key word. It's a key word for your faith. You must understand what justification by faith means. If not, your faith, A, you will not have faith, and B, your faith will remain stale and moldy. It will not produce that fresh bread that God has for you. This word means to be declared righteous. This word means to be made right with God. And so here are the options. Either you are declared righteous or made right by God or with God through your works, the works of the law, or by faith in Christ alone. And Peter and Paul was reminding Peter that no one is justified or made right with God by faith in Christ and in, in, in the law, by works of the law, but by faith in Christ alone. I want to put up verse 16 because this verse is the key verse in our message. It is the key verse, I believe, in the book of Galatians. It is a key verse for fresh faith. Look at it with me again. Yet we know 
that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you get it yet, Peter? You cannot be justified by works of the law. Therefore, why are you making the Gentiles keep the Old Testament Jewish dietary laws or even be circumcised to be made right with God? Why are you excluding them from table fellowship? You are preaching a false gospel. Stop it. And we could be found to do, to do the exact same thing. We could be found in our own lives to be confusing what happens in justification. And we can, we can think that somehow a good life, which is part of the doctrine of sanctification and being changed into the image of God, which is very important. But if we confuse that with what God does unilaterally at that last day on the day of judgment in Christ by faith alone, if we confuse the two, then we get into the same thing and our faith becomes very, very stale. We can, we can begin to have a Christianity that frustrates people, including ourselves. That somehow my performance is what's going to elicit from God his favor. That somehow I can be made more right with God the better I perform and less right with God if I don't perform as well. That's going to make your faith really stale and really moldy. And it's easy to happen. It happened to Peter the apostle. I remind you again that the key here is that on that day, we will be made righteous. We will be justified by faith in Christ alone. Let me me tease that out for you a little bit more. Again, you're in the courtroom, you're standing before the judge. It is God on the day of judgment. And what this text is teaching us is that in Christ, on that day, though we are guilty, though we are standing there totally guilty, the gavel, the judge's gavel, will come down and say, not guilty. And we will be stunned. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of this. Again, don't raise your hand. You may have experienced this. You know you're guilty. But somehow, it comes down as not guilty. The the relief when you realize, I'm not going to have to pay that penalty. Multiply that by a million when you realize the, the, the penalty of eternal death has been taken by someone else, and I have life. I mean, the rejoicing in that courtroom is amazing. You want to talk about fresh faith? If you live in the truth of that every single day of your life, your faith will be fresh. It will be vibrant. It will be life-giving. Man, your faith is there, even when things are bad, even when things aren't going the way you want. When you remember, when you live today in light of that day, that on that day, in Christ, I am justified by faith, not works. I am made righteous by Christ's righteousness. Listen, here's the deal. On that day, it is not your righteousness that justifies you. It can't be. You have none. It is Christ's righteousness. It is an alien righteousness. It is the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to you on that day. You're standing in front of the judge and you realize, I am dead to rights. I am sinfully wickedly guilty here and all you are hoping for is the mercy of the court and thankfully amazingly amazing grace the court gives you mercy 
But not because you deserve it. That would be a contradiction of terms. You cannot deserve mercy. You get mercy because Jesus on the cross died for your sins. The gavel comes down and says, not guilty on you because the gavel came down on that day on the cross, guilty on Jesus. And he bore the wrath and the penalty that you deserve. Jesus Christ bore the wrath and the penalty you deserve. And on the cross, he gives you the righteousness you don't deserve. It's a foreign righteousness. It's an alien righteousness. It is the righteousness of Christ that is given to you on that day. This is the key to live, vibrant faith in Christ. This is the key to fresh faith for you. That you live every day with that understanding. And you never forget it. You remember your inability. You thank God for his ability. So for Peter to say to the Gentiles, you must obey the Old Testament laws to be made right with God, was to sin against God himself, to deny the very righteousness of Christ by trying to establish his own righteousness and keeping the law. That's why Paul says here, what are you doing trying to rebuild what has been torn down? The law belongs to the old. Jesus fulfilled it. It's no longer in vogue. What is new is Christ's righteousness. Stop trying to rebuild that. Live in the new, not the old. Remember your inability to make things right with God and receive Christ's righteousness by faith. As Paul stated clearly, God justifies you. God declares you righteous through faith in Christ alone. Live by faith in Christ alone. So the first point, to live by faith in Christ alone, means that we remember, point one, we remember our inability. We remember our inability. That's very important, church. But equally important to maintain fresh faith is point two, we rejoice in Christ's ability. We rejoice in Christ's ability to make things right with God. See, if you try to make things right with God on your own ability to obey the law, then you will fail to rejoice in Christ's ability. And you will be functionally declaring that Christ died for no purpose. Look at verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. What Paul is saying here to Peter and Barnabas and the Jewish believers and to us today is that you died to the law when Christ died because you are united with Christ by faith. You died to the law when Christ died because you are united with Christ by faith. It's this imagery that comes from Romans 7.14. Excuse me, Romans 7.4 on the screen. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. What he's saying there, you died when Christ died on the cross so that you may belong to another, belong to God. Verse 19, live to God. When you're reading this, think of the imagery of the Old Testament law that a person was married until one of them died. The only thing that could separate you is death. Well, here in Romans 7, he's using that same imagery and saying, you were married to the law in trying to make things right with God. 
But Christ has come, fulfilled the law. The only one who could take your penalty is the one who perfectly fulfilled and obeyed the law. When he died, he took your penalty. You died with him. Now you are free from the law as a means of being made right with God or justified. And now you are alive to God. You are married to someone else, to God himself in Christ. And now it's in Christ that things are made right with God. Going back to the verse, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Friends, this is talking about fresh faith, man. It's not talking about legalistic stuff and moralistic stuff that just frustrates you. It is talking about a living, fresh faith that is fruitful. People can reach into the bin of your life and grab a slice of fresh bread. Man, I like that fresh bread in the morning. And eat it. Because it is Christ's righteousness. And you understand that. So then again, why would Peter want the Gentiles, to go, believers, to go back to a marriage to the law that led to sin and death because no one can keep the law? Paul made that point to Peter Peter, you're a Jew. You think you're better than the Gentiles because you have the law. But what good is the law to you and your efforts to be made right with God? Because you break the law. We could do the same thing. Maybe not with the law, but just adding a few things to the gospel. Thinking that God loves us a little more on the days that we're obedient other than the days that we're not. Again, remember what I'm talking about. Justification. Point in time. That day of judgment where we're pronounced righteous. I'm not talking about sanctification. Get that out of your head. We'll talk about that later. Today it's on justification. Point in time righteousness. Can you make things right with God on your own? It's only in Christ. We are free. From the power of sin and death, just as a spouse is free from the other spouse when one dies by the death of Jesus Christ. So stop living by the law, friend. The law and the cross are polar opposites. The law belongs to the old order, the cross to the new order. Because you are united with Christ as a believer by faith, then his death is your death. You are free from the law and have new life in Christ. This is what the scripture says in this text. And, and, and see, what, what he's saying to Peter is this. Peter, by demanding the Gentile believers to obey the Old Testament dietary laws, you are making the cross secondary and the law primary. Here's a question for you. How do you make the cross secondary? By some of your beliefs, actions, attitudes. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. You see, verse 20 is key. Verse 20 is key where Peter, where Paul is saying, I have been crucified with Christ, hence dead to the law and alive to God. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I no longer look at myself as the old. I now look at myself in the new. I was born in the flesh as a son of Adam, the first man. And with that sin, and with that punishment, and with that death. But I died with Christ to the law making me right in that scenario. And now I'm born again to the new Adam, Jesus, who who obeyed where the old Adam failed. 
who then went on the cross representing all those under the old Adam that are his elect and died that we might die with him to the law as that which makes us right with God and rose from the dead three days later giving us forgiveness. He defeated sin and death on the cross. Don't go back to the old. It's powerless. Your, your faith will become stale as Peter's did. Here's how you can go back to the old. Here's how you can forget this. Where do you get your identity? Is your identity derived by the fact, well, I'm a Jew, and we were given the law. Those are Gentiles, sinners. Yeah, I know we're both believers in Christ, but they're kind of a little below us. Now, none of us are probably saying that. To my knowledge, very few of us here are from a Jewish background. But we can think we're better. We can gain our identity by the fact that, hey, you know, I am faithful in church. Hey, I do tithe. I do good works. Again, that's for another day when we talk about sanctification being more like Jesus. I'm talking justification, dude. I'm talking about the day you stand before God in that courtroom and the charge is treason and the penalty is death, eternal death. Trust me, you tithing will have no effect on that verdict. You got that? Me preaching today will have no effect on that verdict. Christ dying for me on the cross and taking my penalty is the game changer. So don't add anything else to it. But you can also derive your identity from other things. From your bank account, from your friends, from your looks, from your health status, from your social status. Anything else that you would put as your primary identity marker, run from it. For your identity is as a new person in Christ. Look at the second part of verse 20. Read it with me, silently. Verse, first part of verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We just talked about that. And the life I now live in the flesh. Now we're at the main point of this sermon. Here we go. The life I now live in the flesh. All that means is how I'm living today in the world. The word flesh there isn't dealing with the sin nature and all that. It just represents this world. I'm a human being. Okay. The life I now live in the flesh. How do I live it? What does it say? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. Two things that that preaches to us this morning. Number one, I live by faith in the Son of God. Very important. This entire text is future oriented. This entire text is giving you, Christian, a peek by faith into the courtroom and onto that court date that we will all have before God. And you, Christian, by faith in Christ, know this, you will be adjudicated not guilty. You will have eternal life. You will have glory forever and ever and ever. But that is a future court date that I get to experience the good of today by faith. And it takes faith. It takes faith. See, this is what the theologians call the already, not yet. The kingdom of God has come, but it hasn't come fully, it hasn't been consummated. I, am, I have the righteousness of Christ, but I can still act like quite a little devil every once in a while. I mean, I'm not speaking of myself, but... I've got to have faith. 
I, I have been adjudicated not guilty. Therefore, I'm free from the law of sin and death. So tell me something now. Why did your brother-in-law die yesterday gasping for air? Why? Because it's not fully here yet, but Ted's got the promise of a glorified body, and I believe it by faith. And that faith is more real than what I see. What I see is temporary. But death ushered my brother-in-law into the presence of God, and one day I will see Ted in a glorified body. That body that I saw on the hospital bed yesterday that weighed 102 pounds of a man that normally weighs about 170 pounds, gasping for air, will be a glorified body, and sin and death will be broken. But I have to have faith to walk today, don't I? Because I'm grieving today. Sorry, in case you haven't wondered, I tend to grieve with anger and loud voices. So thank you for your patience with me. I'm a little more intense today than normal. I have to live by faith, man. You have to live by faith when you act more like Satan than you do Jesus sometimes. But you, are the, you have Christ's righteousness. And by faith, you will be like him one day. And it takes faith to walk today, right? But after those words come out of your mouth, or in my case, after I cut that person off in traffic, or God forbid you punch someone in the face. I don't know. I hope none of you are doing that, but we are in South Florida, so who knows? Or maybe after you lust. I don't know. But by faith, you have the righteousness of Christ. And that day, friend, you will be adjudicated not guilty. And you will have a glorified body forever and ever. So you've got to live by faith today, right? You can't live by your works. You've got to live by faith. You've been justified by faith. Oh, but then it speaks a second thing that's so beautiful. Oh, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I want you to notice that the pronoun here is now first person. Paul is in, is in a pretty serious Discussion with Peter in public, two apostles, two heavyweights of the church, going at it. Is the gospel the gospel? Are you justified by faith in Christ alone? Or are you justified by faith in Christ plus the works of the law? And this is cataclysmic. This is the church, man. Peter had been the apostle and was the apostle to the Jews. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Are we going to have a split church? Are we going to have a two-tiered church? Is it going to be the Jews up on the top tier, the Gentile sinners on the bottom tier? Yeah, they both get into heaven, but the Gentiles just... Just barely. No. And there's no two-tier Christianity. And so in the midst of this serious argument, there is not a sound in the place. Every breath is held. This is a serious time. Paul turns from this you, they, even we, and Paul turns to me. Look at that, look at that pronoun again. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved whom? Me. Isn't that amazing? I mean, Paul's been going at it with Peter, and he suddenly stops. And you know what Paul does? It becomes very personal. You know why? Because God wanted him to become personal. Because God wants it to be personal to you this morning. I know this passage and this message has been a little difficult to follow. Thank you for paying attention. I urge you to follow it and to stir yourself up to study it. But in the midst of it, 
we go from the courtroom where we're adjudicated not guilty to the living room where God says, I love you. Christian, you listening to me? I died for you. Look, I'll just be honest with you. I'm that guy who just this week was like, you know, Lord, I'm going to stop praying for this. I've been praying for this thing for the church for 15 or 16 years. I'm done. I just want to be disappointed anymore. And then God, in my quiet time, led me to Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, look, if you, being evil fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more can I, the the good father, give good things to those who ask? And I went, oh. My faith had gotten a little stale and moldy. If you would have opened the box of my faith that day and wanted to grab a nice piece of faith bread, you would have gone, it's okay. God renewed my faith with this text. I was preaching to myself this morning when I preached this to, to myself in my house early in the morning. Al, God loves you. I've been wondering, God, do you even hear me? God, do you, there's like 7 billion on the planet. Do you, do you understand this little Cuban boy in Miami has been asking you for something for 15 plus years? I don't think so. He's too busy. God's too busy to listen to me. And God reminds me in this text. No, Al, I died for you as my elect. I pray that you would know that, Christian. Are you confident in God's love? That it's very personal. It is personal. It's not just theology. It's not less than that. But it's also personal. It's personal. It's personal. Paul summarizes this message in verse 21, and I need to summarize this message in verse 21. Look at it with me. It's pretty sobering. Pretty sobering. Paul lays down the law. (laughs) Sorry for that reference. Paul throws down the gauntlet to Peter in verse 21 and to you and me. He says this, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. What Paul said to Peter is this, Peter, either you renounce your efforts to be made right with God by works of the law, or you renounce the cross. Pick one. Thank God Peter repented. Bless his heart. I mean, I'm Peter times 10. I can be like that. God's so kind, isn't he? So you pick it. You pick it, my friend. Either you're made right with God on that that future court date by your works or the cross of Christ and his righteousness. You must renounce one. Which will it be? Let us renounce the works of the law my abilities. Let us not add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are made righteous by his righteousness, his righteousness alone. Let us live by faith in Christ alone. Let us pray. Worship team, would you please come forward? Lord, thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. And I pray that the gospel truth of justification by faith alone in Christ alone would cause the faith of the faithful, 
the, the, the saints, the believers in Palm Vista to be fresh faith. For those who would say, oh Lord, my faith has gotten a little stale, a little cynical. I've stopped asking you for things because I just don't want to be disappointed. I've wondered whether you're really for me, Lord. Whether you even hear me. Oh, Father. Father, forgive us. Father, forgive us for forgetting what you've done for us. Forgive us for the scriptures that say to us, if I died for you while you were my enemies, how much more will I help you now that you're my friends? The scripture that says that he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So when those all things are late in coming, at least in our minds, or when those all things don't include the things we're demanding or wanting, Lord, help us to cry out to you and say, thank you that on that future court date, I've already been adjudicated as justified and the good of that has hit me today and I'm saved by the blood of Jesus and by faith in Christ alone. I made right with you. God, I made right with you by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And I'd live by that faith even when things are hard and confusing. Lord, I pray for the believer here this morning that you would give them joy, fresh faith, and keep their faith fresh. I pray for the unbeliever, that you would bring conviction that things aren't right between them and you, that they stand, they have that court date, and it's a a terrible day, but that today you would give them faith, you would let them see down through the quarters of time, and they, they would see the cross, and that your elect would respond and say, yes, bow their knee to you, Jesus. And in the meantime, Lord, we just want to confess together that you paid it all. You paid it all. We could not pay it. You paid it all. So receive our confession of faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing. Jesus paid it all.